You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. And while you're doing that, take your Bibles and turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse at verse 21. It's good to be in the Lord's house. And we're in a series called Fixing Your Eyes, Fixing Your Eyes on Jesus. Uh, for three weeks, we looked at... Um, how are you doing? It's good to see you. She thought she'd stop and say hello. But anyway, we've been looking at a series called Fixing Your Eyes on Jesus. We've looked particularly for three weeks at a man by the name of Zacchaeus, this short uh, little man that climbed a sycamore fig tree so that he could catch a glimpse of Jesus. We use that as a springboard. We talked about, well, I titled the message Climbing Ladders, Climbing Trees and Climbing Ladders, Part 1, 2, and 3. Uh, today we're looking again at another personality or two personalities that find their paths crossing here in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this story, and you can go back and read it, is given in Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. So it's in three of the Gospels. So uh, we're looking today, Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. When Jesus again had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was, while he was by the lake. Okay, everybody look this way. Let, real briefly, Mark, John Mark, is an individual that you remember Paul and Silas. I mean, Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey. A young man by the name of John Mark was traveling with them. They were going through a dangerous area. John Mark began to be frightened, and so he kind of he left Paul and Barnabas and went back home. Later, on their second missionary journey, Paul uh, and Barnabas are getting ready to go. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul said, no, he forsook us one time. I'm not going to go through that again. He can't go. And the Bible said, I want you to listen, that Paul, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. They could not come to any reconciliation, and they both went different paths. Paul took Silas and we read of this in the book of Acts, and we read of it in some of his letters. Barnabas takes this young man by the name of John Mark that Paul basically was frustrated and kind of wrote him off. Barnabas begins, his name means encourager. He begins to invest in this young man named John Mark. John Mark is discipled by Barnabas, and he becomes this individual who writes this gospel. He becomes close to the apostle Peter, and this information, we believe, comes from Peter. So John Mark, with Peter telling this story, is giving us this account right here. Now, real briefly, again, background. If you go back and you read John chapter 4, Jesus, you remember he and the disciples were coming across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and remember they got caught up in a big storm, the disciples got upset. What was Jesus doing? He's asleep. You remember he's asleep. He's out like a light. 
He's comatose. He is gone. He is like Sheila when we're watching a movie. He is out. And they have to go back, wake him up and say, don't you care that we're about to die? He gets up and what does he do? You remember he tells the wind and the waves to shut it up. In the Greek, he uses the same language that he uses to shut up demons. It, come, it grows like glass. Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, oh, ye of little faith. And the disciples said, what manner of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? He gets to the Gadarean. He gets to this Gentile territory. And what comes to meet him when he gets off the boat? A demon-possessed man who is possessed by legions, thousands of demons. You remember, Jesus cast the demons out. The demons at one point are begging for mercy. Let me tell you something. You're never to fear the devil. The Bible said resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. You're not the one running, the devil is. You're not intimidated by the devil. The devil is intimidated by what's in you, the indwelling Holy Spirit. The demons begged Jesus, said, listen, do not send us into the abyss, which is the prison of the demonic army that's already been put there. Don't send us there. Don't lock us away. He sends them into the swine. I love what MacArthur says here, and they do a, a swine dive off the cliff. Thousands. The people get upset, and what do they do? They ask Jesus to leave. Jesus now is leaving that scene. He comes back across the Sea of Galilee, and he gets back to the other side once again. Are you with me? Say amen. Okay, so uh, when Jesus, uh, again, verse 21, when Jesus said again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, or Jerry, uh, Jairus, or Jairus, but I say Jairus, came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she what? She grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd. Who touched my clothes? Who touched me? You, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. 
she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, everybody look this way. He never used that only this one time. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Why, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Every parent in this room who has lost a child knows in this instant how Jairus felt. Immediately, the girl stood up. She walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we give you glory. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful account out of the life of Christ. Recorded by Matthew, recorded by Mark, and recorded by Luke. We praise you, Lord. Lord, speak to us and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Lauren is our professor, so I'll pick on him for a moment. I don't know if professors do this very often. Preachers will do this. Sometimes you will preach extemporaneously. That's a fancy word for this. Sometimes you don't use notes. You pack your mind, your brain, you listen all week, you listen to the Scripture, you read it, you look at the different gospel presentations, you uh, listen to preachers, you read commentaries, and then you get up without notes and you kind of, in essence, speak out of all that knowledge that you've kind of packed away. That's, in some ways, what I want to do this morning. I did write down one thing in the way of an illustration, and I'll be honest with you, this illustration, this story frightens me. There was a young man in South Africa named Martin Pistorius. There's a book called The Ghost Boy. Has anybody read the book, The Ghost Boy? The Ghost Boy is about this boy who at 12 years of age his name is Martin Pistorius. 
He is a resident in South Africa. Martin, at age 12, and for every parent, this has got to be a frightening thing. At age 12, Martin has a sore throat. He complains of a sore throat. His parents keep him home from school. Then he begins to sleep, and he sleeps, and he sleeps. And then eventually he becomes despondent. Eventually he begins to lose control of his motor skills. His limbs begin to move, but they're not in unison with his brain. And finally, he's in a complete vegetative state. As far as they know, his brain is no longer functioning. And this boy is just there. The ghost boy, the story, is what was going on in his brain while he was trapped in this body. He can't communicate. He says inside his brain, he is screaming for somebody to recognize that he's alive. He's trying to communicate. He cannot move nothing but his eyes, and he can only move them up and down, not even side to side. For years, he's trapped in his body. Doctors have no idea. They finally have given this a diagnosis. They call it the locked-in syndrome. And for years he lived like this. He said he couldn't communicate. He couldn't talk to anybody. He said the one thing that he did, the only thing that he could do, he would talk to God. And he said there was a strong presence of God as he communicated only in his mind. He couldn't do any other way. He was completely trapped in his body for years. Twelve-year-old boy. Finally, a woman, if I remember by the name of Verna. Verna, who was providing basic, cleaning him, taking care of him, meeting the biological needs. They thought that he basically was so deep in a coma that he was in a vegetative state that his brain was no longer functioning. One day she looked at him and she recognized that he understood her because he moved his eyes up and down. She called the medical officials. They came in and somebody held up a picture of a ball. And they said, do you see, Martin? Do you see this picture? And years and years of being trapped in this body, he moves his eyes up and down, his eyeballs up and down, and they recognize that he can hear them and he can understand And he said for years he was screaming to his parents inside of his brain. He was screaming to those that were constantly taking care of him. He was trying to say to them, I'm alive. I'm just trapped in the locked-in syndrome. And they say that we still do not understand this extremely rare disease. When I read of this woman who had been ill for 12 years, I thought, wow. 
So let's go back. Let's look at it. We're going we're gonna to spend a couple. We're going to camp here a little bit. I'm not going to keep you long. I'm watching the time. But in, in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, when Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. What he would often do, Jesus would often get in a boat, push back away from the crowd. The crowd would press. He was such a celebrity. Think about this. People were literally so crowded around him with their sick, with their infirmities, Everybody was trying to touch him. So what he would do, he'd get in a boat and he'd get back off the shore and his voice would reverberate. It would echo off that water and he would speak to the crowd. This is the scene so often, but not in this case. In verse 22, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. Everybody look this way. He's a synagogue ruler. He's not a priest. He's not a minister. He actually is the administrator of the synagogue, which is basically Judaism in every town. People didn't go always to the, to the temple. They would go to the synagogue, and there they would worship. He, Jairus, Jairus, he ran. He administrated. He took care of everything of keeping the synagogue operating. He's a man of power and a man of influence, much like Zacchaeus. But he's got a problem. He's got a 12-year-old daughter that is deathly ill. I've told you this story, but I remember one time we were in a Walmart in Meridian. Sheila had, our worship leader had Jeffrey. He was probably about three, maybe, at the most. He may not have been that old. He was probably about two years of age. We were in this, uh, we were in a Walmart when all of a sudden, you know, moms, you talk about this, but us dads are pretty good at it. In that Walmart, I heard a death, I mean a curdling scream. I knew immediately that was Jeffrey. I knew that was one of my four. And I went running through that Walmart because I didn't know had he fallen out of the buggy, what had happened to him. When I got there, he was broke out. All of a sudden, I don't know if his fever went up. He was, he was splotchy. Everything about it, coming out of that medical environment, being an EMT, working in that kind of environment, I knew the danger of spinal uh, meningitis or some of these things. So I immediately grabbed him up. We ran. We got into the car. We went to our pediatrician who was there at his office, very prominent pediatrician. I think Dr. Greer, wasn't it, in Meridian, a good man. Ladies, y'all stay with me now. Y'all quit getting up. But anyway, I get to Dr. Greer's office. I walk in with my little two-year-old. He is, and I don't know what's wrong with him. He's almost lethargic. I think he's dying. And I walk in, I said, we need to see Dr. Greer right now. She said, we'll be seated. Wait, I said, I don't have time to wait. Two, I walked right back through there, started looking through the examination rooms, walked in where that pediatrician was in the middle of talking to a parent of a child, and I looked at him when I broke up in there. Dr. Greer said, he said, Jeff, what's wrong? I said, I think my boy's dying. 
And in that moment, he stopped what he was doing and he looked at the nurse who was trying to corral me back out of there and he said, get him into the examination room. He came in there and in that moment, he began to take care of our son. Any parent that's been there, you understand how Jairus felt. He comes to Jesus he is a friend of the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He comes to Jesus, and the Bible said he fell at his feet. One of the other gospel writers said that he fell at his feet, and he began to worship. This would be the equivalent of a member of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, falling at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. What he said was, Jesus, my little girl is dying. There's no time for pomp and splendor. My little daughter is dying. Look what he says in verse 23. Do you see it? Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. And live. Lord, if you can just touch her. Imagine that. Anyone in this room that's ever been sick, anyone that's ever had a problem, we had a family come Sunday. They sat back there, a precious family, visiting here. They came here. They came, um, they came here because their son had been killed in prison and I did the funeral of their son. They came with the son who was killed in prison. They came with his children, one of his children, one of their grandchildren who sat back there. His name, I'm not going to say his name, a little boy, frail, walked with a limp, is battling brain cancer, brain cancer. The grandfather said when he came in with his grandson, he walked in through those doors. And he said, the moment I walked through those doors, he said, I began to tear up. I began to cry. That was, that was strange to him. He didn't understand it. He looked at Willie Cox, who had invited him. He said, what is this? Why am I doing this? And Willie said, that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room. That's what that is. He, they sat through the service. They came down at the end. They talked to me for a moment, and they said, before we leave, and Willie said, Brother Jeff, they were wanting, if you would, would you pray? I put my hands on that little frail, almost like a skeleton with skin stretched across it. And I prayed for that little boy who had scars all over his head, endless surgeries, endless treatments, brain cancer, brain tumors, whose father had been killed in prison whose grandparents brought him. And it was like holding, it was like his, I could feel every bone in him and prayed. The grandfather came, the grandfather asked Willie later on, he said, what was this? What happened to me? Willie said, that was the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, by the way, we carried him to his cancer doctor. And the, and the doctor said, he is free of cancer. Let me tell you something, you can do anything to me. You can do anything to me. 
I've been bad. Look, I battle with sickness. I've had more trouble here lately. Sheila's, I think, has been worried about. I always know when Sheila's worried about my health because she'll start looking at me and she'll tear up and go, I love you so much. I'm so glad we met. You're such a good husband. I just think, uh oh, she thinks I got one foot in the grave. You know, I, hey, listen, I can be sick and it really doesn't matter. Every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about. I can be sick. It doesn't matter. I'll get over it. I'll figure it out. But you let one of my kids get sick. You let one of my grandkids get sick. And boy, it redefines my everything about me. Let me ask you something. If Jesus were here today and you had a sick child, do you think you would take your children? for him to touch let me ask you this do you remember that there were mamas that came to him one time their babies weren't sick they just wanted him to touch them you remember we just want him to touch them we just want him to pray you know i always remember mark driscoll who pastored the mars hill church mark said he was working when he was a young man and he was wrestling with the call of God on his life. He said he was working in this hotel, a real prominent, fancy hotel there in Seattle, Washington. He said he, he walked by the glassed area where they had, uh, you know, where they had served breakfast in the morning, and he looked in there, and they were, at the table, there was a guy sitting there. He said he was sitting there, and, 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 he, and, and he just had these old jeans on, he just, he, old T-shirt. He had a cap kind of pulled down, and he was sitting there like this, and he had a newspaper up like this. And Mark Driscoll said he looked at me, thought he looked familiar, and finally he figured, that's Billy Graham. And, and, and Mark said he looked at Billy Graham, and Billy Graham early in the morning drinking his coffee, eating his breakfast, and a cat pulled down. And, and it was almost like he was incognito. You know, he's trying to, trying to keep his, just kind of, he just wanted that quietness. Mark Driscoll said that in a little while, he would go by there working in that hotel, and he'd look, and there'd be a mom over there. And she'd say, uh, Billy Graham, would you mind praying for my child? Or would you mind? And, and Billy Graham, they said, Mark said that eventually, you know, he had, he had put the newspaper down and he kind of pulled his cap back and he'd take a child in his lap and he'd pray over him. A little while later, Mark said he went by and he said there were like three or four mamas. Mark said he went by again and he said there were dads and moms and families and they were all just all gathered around him, just, just completely all around him. And, and, and Mark said this and he teared up when he said it. He said, I watched Billy Graham just take one child after another and just put his hands and just pray and pray for the parents and pray for those children. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus praying over your child? Wouldn't that be interesting, Molly? Wouldn't it be interesting for Jesus to show up today and take Hal in his arms and pray over him and say, God, Father, would you just bless this child and make him into such a great man, use him mightily? Can you imagine the impact of that? Jairus comes and he says, my daughter is dying. If you just put your 
hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Look at it farther, verse 24. A large crowd followed. They pressed around him. They were pushing in on him. In the Greek language there, it just literally means to almost be pressed as if you can hardly get the... Hey, imagine Jesus squeezing through this crowd that's just pressing in on him. And, and he's just trying to navigate his way through this, through this crowd. I don't know about you, but I've always thought... I remember preaching this years ago at First Baptist Brandon... I don't know about you, but I would be trying to hurry Jesus up if I'm Jairus. Wouldn't you? When I walked in there with Jeffrey, hey, listen, I, I, I was oblivious to all those other parents, oblivious to their children. Their children look fine compared to mine. Mine looks like he's about to die. Doctor, I need you now. I got a feeling that Jairus was, you know what I would be doing? And every parent will understand this. This is what I'd be doing. Hey, I need you to, hey, need you to move back. Everybody clear back, clear back. We're, this is an emergency. Can we, can we get you to step back? Sir, move back out of the way. Jesus is trying to get to my girl. She's dying. And I wouldn't be that nice about it. Sometimes when I'm doing something, when I was when kids were growing up, I'd look at them and I said, "This would almost make a preacher cuss." I got tickled. Sheila and I met to rest down there this past week at the courthouse. There was a situation there with a law enforcement officer, and we were just there to pray and to offer what we could. And this, this tall, classy-looking African-American woman was standing off, and all of a sudden she let some words out. And Therese said, oh, I want you to meet our pastor. <gasps> I said, ma'am, I've been in the military. I said, you probably can't shock me. Jairus was willing to do whatever it took. He cleared the key, would say, Jesus, we've got to go now. She's dying, Lord. Large crowd followed, pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You ever been there? Anybody in this room got an ailment that they ain't been able to figure out? Because you're looking at one. I've been to Johannesburg, South Africa. I've been to England. I've been to the tropical disease centers. I've been under some of the leading doctors in Africa, in Europe. I've been to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, I've been to every doctor. They don't know. Sheila said, you need to, it's time for you to get your stomach and get your, you need to go, you need to go see this doctor that I went to. So we're going to go to the GI and associates and we're going to, I walked into that thing trying to, and just people in and out and just so much going on. I thought, I, they're not going to know. Do you know what Tropical Disease Center said about your pastor? 
They even brought a medical school students in in England. You know what they said? They said, what's happened to you is what happened to World War II veterans. Our British soldiers in Africa during World War II, many of them have lived the last 50 years of their life in the same condition you're in. We don't know what's wrong with you. And let me tell you, you lose hope. With all the medical advances, with all the research, with everything, you begin to lose hope. That was this woman. Twelve years. Now I'm going to close because we don't have time. We're just introducing it today. But I thought to myself, isn't it strange? Here we have a 12-year-old daughter. Let me tell you, a 12-year-old girl, a 12-year-old boy at 12 years was going through bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah under the law. He was at that point becoming a man. A girl at 12 years of age, girls listen to this, at 12 years of age and this time, they were getting her ready for marriage. Her whole future of a 12-year-old girl was a, ready I mean her whole life was ahead of her she would have been she would have been born when Jesus was probably about 20 years of age her whole future ahead of her and she's dying and the dad says please come as Jesus is making his way there's another woman who's been held the same amount of time this little girl's been on earth by a disease that nobody can figure out. You know what Luke the physician said? She's sick. That's all he could say. Nobody knew what was wrong with her. For everyone in this room, for every woman in this room, this is the equivalent, I'm not trying to embarrass you, what this amounted to, she was on her period for 12 years. According to Levitical law, she was unclean. According to Levitical law, she could never go into the synagogue. According to Levitical law, because of that, she could never do what I just did to my wife. She could never touch anybody. Squeezing her way through the crowd for a touch. And the Bible said that what she did, she touched the tassel because the Jewish men would wear tassels. They were to remind them of certain things in, the, in Judaism. And, they, and sometimes they would enlarge their tassels, kind of making a show out of it. But the idea is that she touched the tassel on his garment. And immediately, just like that sound, isn't that strange? And immediately, she's what? Yeah. she knew it immediately this woman who had been losing blood for the last 12 years this woman who was Levitically unclean this woman who walked around separated, ostracized couldn't be around anybody even this could bring the death sentence to her if they found out that she had that issue of blood and she was in a gathering of people she could be not only put out of the synagogue permanently even if she were healed she could be put to death I love what John MacArthur said. He said, Jesus is never defiled. You don't make Jesus unclean. He makes you clean. And she's healed. 
She knew it, the Bible said, immediately. Immediately. Something's happened to me. Something's happened. I'm, I'm, I'm healed. She starts backing out of the crowd. I'm healed. Jesus at the same time is, listen to this. Who touched me? You know what the disciples were saying? Peter said it. In another, in, in another narrative, he said, Lord, there are people pressing. There's been people pressing. Everybody's touching you. Oh. Who touched me? Power. Power left me. Who touched me? Lord, it was me. I, I touched you. I think he smiled. Daughter, only time he ever used that word. Daughter. One of my kids. You're well. Because you believe. Faith has made you well. Wow. Let me ask you something. You touched him lately? You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, yeah, you can. Through his word, through prayer, to the indwelling Holy Spirit. There are times in your life, and you know what I'm talking about, just like Martin, when he's trapped in that body. Did you hear what he said? He said, I could not talk to anybody. I was screaming trapped in this body. But there was an overwhelming presence of God. And I talked to God. And I knew he was there. Do you know him? Are you looking for somebody to fix you? whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you're looking for something. You know what the, you know, you know what the leading critics told this woman? Listen to this, and then I promise I'll, cl I'll close. You know what the remedies were? If she would take the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag and carry it with her, then she might get better. That was what this, that's what they were telling her. Oh, another one? If she would take barley, barley grain and donkey dung and tie it around her neck, it would make her, it might heal her. Would you finally think, I need to give that up. This ain't working. I need to go see the great physician. We were, we, were, we were called home when my dad worked for NASA. His brothers and sisters called and said, you need to come home. Momo, Mama's got acute leukemia. She's dying. They've given her six months. She lived 27 years. She outlived the doctor that made the diagnosis. Do you need healing? 
and let Jesus heal you. Let's pray. And you stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you, dear Lord, for your mercy, your grace, your compassion, your goodness. Lord, you alone are worthy to be praised. We've taken a step. We've been introduced to these two personalities in the New Testament that, oh, Lord, they're just precious. We understand as parents the heart of Jairus, but we also understand this woman who, like Martin in that illustration, is trapped in a body. Sometimes, Lord, we're trapped in pain. We're trapped in a past. We're trapped in a sin. We're trapped in a life that we don't even like anymore. And we cry out from inside, Oh, Lord Jesus, heal me. Lord, I pray today for any man, woman, boy, or girl who may be here today, who may be struggling, who may be listening even to the sound of my voice, maybe later, and they just simply say, I, I feel so alone, so isolated, so trapped. May they realize that right now the Lord Jesus Christ is standing there and Lord, may you encourage and give them the strength to repent of their sin, to confess you as their Lord and Savior, reaching out in simple childlike faith. And Lord, we pray today for people to be saved. We pray, dear Lord, for others that may need a fresh touch. Lord, there were multitudes that pressed and touched Jesus, but only one drew the power out of him. And that was the one who did it by faith, believing, humble, broken, seeking out Jesus. And so, Lord, if that be someone today, may, Lord, they find peace and comfort that comes from you. And, Lord, in everything, we give you the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. You come. May never be a moment like this moment.